You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about five tactical blocking strategies that you can implement in your gym right away. And they're simple but subtle, and they really, really make your block defense so much stronger. And it's the simple things that we may not be paying attention to that can actually make a big difference. Now, these are simple strategies. These are strategies you can implement right away to your team. So this is an episode you definitely don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 173 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. To all my new listeners, welcome to the show. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And to my regular listeners, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode where the goal, just like every episode, is to deliver valuable step-by-step strategies that you can take back to your gym and apply right away. And that is the hope today, just like every week. And I got a I got a blocking episode for you. Now I've done I've done a good amount of blocking episodes in the past, actually. If you were to just, you know, if you're listening to me on Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast, if you search blocking, there is a ton of a ton of times I talked about blocking. I I talked about blocking with former pro players. I talked about it with our current or the U.S. current middle blocker Taylor, I talked about it with a with a lot with a lot of people, as well as giving my own two cents on, you know, the technical side of blocking, as well as some of the strategies that go into blocking. But today, I want to talk about some simple tactical blocking strategies that, uh, you know, I I found in my other episodes. Don't get me wrong; the other ep- they're, they're good because I, I go into step-by-step strategies and I, I walk you through like from the ground up how to teach blocking and how to formulate good strategies and things like that. Um, and how to, you know what? It's more so systems. So in the past, if you go look at blocking, I, I talked a lot about how to systematize your block, which is good because that's what you need to do. You need to be able to run a system on the block. But I never really talked about things that you can do on the fly when you see something happen on the other side of the net well, this is what we can do accordingly to maximize our opportunity to block the ball. And this is like more tactical uh, than system, okay? So a little bit different here. So we're going to talk about five strategies, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Now, uh, do I have any updates for you guys today? I don't know. I always start with my updates, but we... Um, so we're getting closer to our season opener, which is exciting. Our season opener is in a couple weeks away. Uh, I'm hosting a tournament at the college next week. So we're excited about that and excited about teams that are coming my way. We played we played York University on Thursday, um, and we got beat. We definitely got beat. They were close games. Uh, we, were, we were, you know, it's funny. We had we had the lead. Uh, we were like 2018. We had the lead 2018. We lost that set. We had, we had a couple leads later on in the set and then their experience just just showcased you know how good they were relative to us at least so we we lost but it was it was a good game for our guys um yeah it was it was fun so we thank york for having us out and we've been progressing you know pretty well i think we're we're getting there 
you know, it's it's nice to have, you know, 16 to 20 bodies that are competing every practice in the gym. Um, and yeah, and it's fun. And I don't know, actually, I don't know if I told you guys on the pod, but you know how every year, every year I always coach one high school team. That's like my way of staying connected to the youth, um, really trying to just just to give the give back a little bit. And this year, you may have saw a post on Instagram, but I've normally coached a high school girls team every year. And this year, I decided that I'm going to be coaching a high school boys team at the high school that I used to go to. So uh, that's, you know, it, it's kind of full circle for me. And just, it's really cool because the, the high school that, that I go, that I went to and that the kids there now, you know, volleyball is a passion in that school, but not a lot of these kids play club. They don't play outside of school. And they don't like, so they're, they're, provincials or nationals or states or whatever you want to call it it happens in their high school because they don't they don't play whether it's because they can't afford it or they're not exposed to it whatever the case is and it's really cool getting a chance to teach the game to to kids who don't have opportunities to go outside and play with the exception of like pickup and rec and things like that and man these boys are eating it up it's really it's really amazing to see how how much they've grown in the last five weeks uh, and we're undefeated right now on the season, so it's it's pretty cool to see what 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 we may may or may not do. Again, I don't. The expectations is just continue to get better, but um, but what it this has done for me is, you know, I being a college coach and coaching this game competitively for the last seventeen years, I, I I tend to work with higher level athletes. So getting a chance to go back and working with with the high school kids and, and younger kids, I still teach the same things. I still teach passing from the ground up, just like I do with my college team. I still teach our systems, depending on the personnel that I have, and the effect is still the same. You know, so it's the same thing that I do with my girls team. You know, I got it. I, I've coached girls and and boys, and I know I know coaching both teams. Sometimes you say that, well, I, you treat the girls differently than you treat the guys. Yeah, I never did. I was just as hard on my girls as I was on my guys. I taught the same. Same fundamentals, same skills. You know, the girls just do a couple things differently in terms of like the step around that's not as popular in the guys' game, and but not not much. And I found that both were very receptive. Like the girls took it and did well. The, the high school boys have taken it and have done well with it. So, you know, like you can do both. You know, like if you're a men's coach or a women's coach or a girls' coach, boys' coach, whatever, and you're thinking about swapping and going to the other side, it's the same thing. There's not much of a difference in terms of the way you coach. Uh, in terms of personnel, it might be a little different, sure, but nah, I, I, I find that I was just as happy doing the same thing. So anyways, here's a little sidebar conversation for you guys. But yeah, it's exciting doing the high school thing and getting a chance to see them learn it from the ground up, which actually kind of led me to this episode because you know at the, th- this episode is more so for the club and high school coaches because with with our level with high school and club level it's not as as it's not as advanced as the as the college pro system like guys and girls aren't doing the same things they're doing at the next level so these are some things that i want us to think about okay so let's start with the first thing the first thing especially at the younger age group i'm going to say 18 and under okay there if you're not running a 62 where you have always a setter in the back row and majority of teams are running a 5-1, the three weakest rotations is going to be when the setter is front row. When the setter is front row, that is going to be a team's three weakest rotations. And we have to capitalize on that as much as we can. 
So the first strategy, and this is something I've talked about on the pod before, so this is nothing new, but uh, you can't go without saying this one. The first strategy is this concept of fronting the setter. Now, I know you've heard me talk about this before, so I'll, I'll try to be quick about it, but in case you haven't, fronting the setter just means that the left side blocker, so the, the blocker in position four, is going to be in front of the setter. Whenever, wherever the setter goes along the net line, they're going to stay in front of them. And the reason they're going to stay in front of them is because when the setter jumps, that blocker is going to jump with the setter to protect any setter dumps. Okay, because the setter can dump when they're front court. They're a front court player. So that's why uh, we want to front the setter. Okay, because you should always be in front of the setter so that that way you prevent the, uh, the dump. Okay, now there's a couple interesting things that happen when the setter's front row. The minute that that setter doesn't get a good ball and they can't run the middle attack, the blocking team has a nice advantage there. Okay, so the minute the setter comes off the net, and you know it's going to be an added system ball. So this is strategy number two. Strategy number one is front the setter. Make sure you're always in front of the setter so you can protect any setter dumps. Okay, so left side blocker takes the setter. And by the way, the left side blocker can also help with the middle because if the setter is jumping, that means the middle is probably in the air as well. So while they're protecting that setter dump, they can keep their hands high. So in the event the middle gets attacked, at least their hands are there to slow the ball down. Okay. So they can also be an effective help with the middle blocker uh, for the middle attacker. Okay, so strategy number two now. The minute, and this is providing that the setter's front row. The minute the setter comes off the net, you know it's going to be an out-of-system ball. Okay? Middles, you need to release early, and you should have a sealed block on the outside. Now, there's a reason I say this is for high school and club more than I say this is for university college, you know, pro. Because the minute the setter comes off the net at the higher level, they can still run a backcourt combo or a C-ball or like a backcourt right side attack or things like that. That can still happen. But the likeliness of it happening at the club and high school level is far, it's, it's, uh, it's much more minimized than it is at the higher level. So, which is why I say middles, you can release early right away and you should have a sealed block on the outside attacker. You should have at least two blockers on the outside attacker no matter what, because you have time now. So there's no one-on-one -on -one situation. So I can tell you, like this, this strategy alone, okay? This strategy alone at the high school level is, is golden because, and I, and I saw it firsthand with my high school teams. When that setter came off the net, I told my middle, get out and get out to the left side right away. Get out. And the one right side blocker, they can protect any kind of backcourt attack by themselves. If it's a pipe attack, if it's a sea ball attack, if, and that's a big if, they can protect it by themselves. Or what happens is the setter puts a high ball to the pipe or a high ball to the sea ball, and then the middle has time to transition accordingly. But nine out of 10 times, I want to say, I want to say nine out of 10 times, what's going to happen is it's going to go left side. And that's just because that's that's a natural set. It's a common set in the in the high school and younger kids game. So here's what happens and I've noticed this quite a bit. As soon as that setter comes off the net, the middle releases and goes to the left side, and their eyes 
they don't even like they almost don't even care about what the setter is going to do but as soon as the setter touches the ball and they see it in the going in the direction of left side obviously their eyes are going to focus on that on the attacker and we have two blockers that are going to be dialed into that attacker and the pin blocker is going to you know uh they're going to um what's the word i'm like they're going to uh establish the block who ran out of my thought there they're going to establish the block and the middle is going to close to that block and just doing this alone this simple thing alone when the setter is um is front court that gives you an advantage on three play on three rotations so if you're a tough serving team which i hope you are because you're training your service to serve tough they're going to the other team's going to be out of system and can't use their middle as much and if they can't use their middle as much boom two blockers easily on the left side attack giving you a little bit of an advantage there okay now so one question I always get is, well, what about three blockers? What about three blockers on the outside? Now, at the higher level, absolutely, you'd want three blockers that are blocking an out-of-system ball. But here's the thing you have to consider, and this is for any level. If you want to have three blockers that are blocking out of the left side, does your left side attacker have the ability to come off that block, land, and go and run their hitting lane on the outside. Do they have the ability to do that? If they do, great. Then you can run a triple block, no problem. But if they don't, then you might want to consider just having two there. Because then you can still play defense. It's still an out-of-system ball. It's still tough for them to score. The other thing too, by the way, while I'm on the topic, is if you are having a triple block on the outside, your outside attacker is not gonna go is not gonna do their regular approach when they land like they're not gonna land run outside the court and then do their full approach to score that's not gonna happen they're gonna be having an inside approach to the pins so they're gonna come down off a triple block okay they're gonna run like explode out and they're gonna be turning their body in the court. So they're not coming outside the court at all. They're turning in the court and running their hitting lane from the inside. So the setter is gonna be setting them an inside ball, not a ball to the outside. I hope that makes sense. It's still going to area four, don't get me wrong, but it's just not gonna be a tempo ball to the, like shooting through the antenna because they don't have enough time to get outside. So if you are triple blocking, make, that's a really important point to make sure you're aware that your, your left sides aren't going to be doing their full approach. They're going to be coming on the inside, okay? So this little tactical advantage here on three rotations, if you haven't been doing yet, I highly encourage you to do it, uh, especially when you know your, your, um, your left side blocker, your blocker in position four is fronting the setter anyways. And what I like to do is as soon as that setter is out um, and the middle is not an option, they can even give the middle a little push to get them over there in the right direction faster. It really helps, okay? All right, strategy number three. Now, this is an this is one that I'm sure you know, but I have to mention it because not, not a lot of coaches think about this. You wanna play to the other team's weaknesses when it comes to your block. So here's a couple questions you should write this down or you should ask yourself. Does the other team have a C-ball? Does the other team have a pipe? A C-ball is a backcourt right-side attack. A pipe is a backcourt left-side attack out of position six. Okay, so the first question is, do they have a C-ball and do they have a pipe? Okay, that's question number one. Question number two, if, if, if they have a C-ball and if they have a pipe, how many times do they run it 
How many times do they run it? Now, if you're playing a team for the first time and you don't know, then I would leave the sea ball and pipe alone if you didn't see them practice it in their hitting warm-up. If you didn't see them practice a sea ball or pipe in their hitting warm-up, I would leave it alone. If they do it once, I would still leave it alone. If they're doing it over and over again and they're in system, then I would ask the question of whether I need to respect it or not. Okay, so that's the first thing. So some coaches, I'll ask them, and they'll be like, no, that team can run a sea ball. They can run a pipe. Okay, so they can run a sea ball and can run a pipe is different than do they run a pipe or do they run a sea ball consistently? I'm talking like not one out of 25 points in a set. I'm talking five out of 25 points in a set. If they're running it once or twice out of 25 points, that's not something you might need to respect. And that's a tactical advantage because now you know that if they don't run a C-ball or pipe, we are fronting the setter. We're doing everything we talked about to make sure that we load up on the front court, left side position and middle position. Okay. Another question you have to ask yourself. Okay. So let, let's say hypothetically that they do run a C-ball and they do run a pipe or they run one of the two. The next question you have to ask yourself is how good is that C-ball or pipe? Remember, it's a backcourt attack. Is it an attack that is a weapon for the other team? Or is it a down ball? Now, that's an interesting question because if it's a down ball, then we don't need to block it. Because we, I, I hope, coaches, you're training your ball control in your practice. You're training them to take down balls. And if they can take a down ball, then there's no need to put up a block. Let's just let our blockers focus on blocking the pins uh, the front court attackers and let the C ball play against your defense or the pipe play against your defense and just take it. And I know, I know college teams that will never block a C ball. They will just, they, and I, and they, these are college teams that I respect that have great coaching that will not respect a C ball. They'll just, they'll just say, they say down on seat and then they just play defense and that works for them. So that's the thing you have to ask yourself, do you, do they, are they, does the other team have a good, if they have a C ball or a pipe, but it's not good, then just let your backcourt take it. And then you can still capitalize on your blocking strategy front court. Okay. So if you, and if you have film on another team or you've seen another team, that's even better because you know, out of the 50 points or out of the 75 total points that a team can score, how many of those points were pipe and C ball? If it is below 5%, even 8%, leave it leave it alone. It's not an attack that they do very often. Okay. You want to leave that alone and go from there. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Okay. Let's talk about a couple other things. If they're front court attack now, let's talk about their front court attack. Um, can they swing multiple shots? Okay. Can they swing multiple shots? Let's start with this. Can they swing line? Can they swing cross? Maybe they only have one shot. So at the younger age group, all right, normally you can't really swing line at the, young, at the younger age group. Not a lot of teams swing line. So if they don't have the ability to swing line, then you will not block line. You will block cross court and let them swing cross court and that way your block is right there. And then you can set up your, um, your backcourt defense accordingly if they want to tip. Okay, does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Um, so that's probably the last thing I want you to consider when it comes to tactical things in terms of what the other team can do. 
You know, the other things you can think, actually, let me keep going. The other things you can think about is what type of attacks do they like to do a lot? You know, do they like to tip? Do they like to roll? Okay. Do they like to do a lot of combo plays? Do what, what, what is, what is it? What about their go-to players their top three attackers? What do they like to do? Okay. So these are the things you want to ask yourself. And if you're not asking yourself these questions, you should, because that, that, those questions, those, those questions are powerful and they can help you establish that tactical blocking strategy you want to establish. All right. So that's strategy number three. What it is, it's really designing. It's, it's, it's adding into strategy number two, which means, you know, fronting the setter through rotations, et cetera, because we're talking about a lot of backcourt things and it's allowing you to start thinking about, well, if a team doesn't have this, doesn't have that, then we, why are we playing defense on them? We should be prioritizing what they can do. Okay. So there is strategy number three. Okay. Strategy number four. Now, this is a general statement. This is not true for all middles. And at the higher level, this is definitely not true. But generally speaking, when middles are in position four and position three, okay, they like to swing to five because it's easier for the body to swing to five. It's an easier shot instead of cutting the ball back to one, which is a more difficult shot. Okay, so when a, when a middle attacker is coming out of position four on the rotation and coming out of position three on the rotation, they generally swing five. When a middle attacker is coming out of position two, where they're coming behind the setter, they generally like to swing one. Okay, this is a general statement. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you don't have a scouting report or you don't know what the middle attacker is going to do, this is a general rule that you can follow until they show you they can do other things. Okay. General rule you can follow until they show you that they can do other things. So I, even me at my level, I tell my guys this if we've never played a team before. Just do that until they show you otherwise. And cutting the ball to one is normally the tougher shot. So that's the one where if they're cutting the ball to one, um, they got to show you they can do it. And then, then you have to respect it. So the why this is valuable for you to know is because your middle blockers now are going to take away that angle. So if, when, the, when the middle is out of position three and four, they're going to take the five shot away from them, that, that area five. So they're going to block that area, forcing them to swing into area one or area six where we have defenders. And then the same thing when they're coming out of two, take away area one. Okay. So there's a general strategy. And then when they switch, if they change their, you know, if they have the ability, if the middle has the ability to cut the ball and make different shots, then no problem. Okay. Then you have to start respecting it. Okay. Strategy number five, this is, this is adding to, this is again, when the setter's front row, okay? If you know that the other team, when the setter's front row, they have a really good middle left side combo, or they have a really good left side, what you can think about doing is you can think about having the libero take the setter on alone, so what that means is, you know how earlier uh, strategy number one, we talked about the blocker in position four fronting the setter. Well, instead of the blocker in position four fronting the setter, the blocker in position four can take the middle. And the middle blocker is going to be in between their two blockers, but a little pushed over to the left side. So they can help in the middle as well as be able to get to the outside a lot faster because the distance is a lot shorter now. So essentially, you can have a double block in the middle and a double block on the outside. And this also allows you to have a double block for the pipe attack, if need be. 
So really, really simple strategy here. And the libero, because the libero is going to take the setter straight up by themselves, the libero's IDP, their initial defensive position, their base position, is going to be pretty much on the attack line. They're not going to be deep at all. And the reason they're not going to be deep is because where they would originally play defense for the middle attack, the blockers are already going to be there. So we're, we're giving up a libero back row defense. I mean, and, and we're not, I shouldn't say we're giving it up. We're leaving it open just until the setter sets the ball. Once the setter sets the ball, libero transitions to play defense anyways. This is just playing the dump ahead of time by standing at the attack line. And the, and the minute the setter sets the ball, if they're at the attack line, then they're they're pretty close to the, to the middle attacker anyways. And if the setter pushes the left side, they got to take a couple steps over and drop back and uh, be able to dig that ball. Okay. And again, this is perfect pass situation. The minute the setter comes off the net, the barrow doesn't need to protect the dump anymore and they can slide into a better defensive position. Okay. Um, and, and a thing to add on to this, by the way, and this is a good strategy that you guys can use for blocking. The minute you know that the middle blocker is not an or middle attacker is not an option, have your blockers drop their hands by their waist so much faster to move instead of having their hands up by their chest in like that blocking position. It's really, really weird to move that way. So the minute, and, and you'll see some teams, especially at the higher level, you'll see some teams have their hands dropped from the beginning because they know, because they're not, they don't have the middle attacker as a priority. They have the pin attacker as a priority. So their hands would be dropped already before they transition accordingly. So that's a strategy. The minute you know the middle is not in use, drop the hands and get out into get out to the pins and that way you could be there for you ready ready and early okay all right let me just do a quick recap here so we when it comes to the the five blocking five blocking strategies talking about now this is again this is more you know high school club the reason it's not university or college is because college university they tend to have a great backward attacks and that's when you, you have to start respecting it and changing your blocking strategy accordingly strategy number one we talked about fronting the setter making sure that the blocker in position four is in front of the setter when they're you know moving along the net line there if it's an in-system ball that blocker is jumping with the setter because you don't have time to jump after the setter dumps it's too late they have to jump with the setter to protect the setter dump uh and then they they because they're jumping with the setter if they keep their hands high they could also help in the middle as well and that way you have a double block in the middle if the setter shoots to the left side, hopefully the middle can get over there and have a closed block with two on the outside, okay? Strategy number two, the minute the setter comes off the net, okay? The minute the setter comes off the net, we are gonna release. Middle releases to the pins right away. And again, this is high school and, uh, high school and club because normally they don't have a strong pipe or strong C-ball. So the middles can release early, and that way you have a sealed double block on the outside, forcing the outside hitter into a more difficult shot. And you know what I found happens is when you do that and the outside hitter is consistently seeing a solid sealed block, they change their tactics. Unless, unless they've been trained well and they swing high off hands or find a seam, what, they're gonna, what they tend to do is they tend to roll into the defense so they don't commit an error, and then that's when you say thank you and pop the ball back up and run an offense. Or they may tip, which is even better. So one of the things that we, and I'm going, I'm going a little off topic here, but it's important. One of the things that we really, we really train in all my gyms is 
you can't you can't move you can't expect to move after a contact is made so what that means is if you got a sealed block and you see the attacker's hand open up to tip you have to move right away before that attacker contacts the ball because if you wait until the attacker contacts the ball and then decide to move, it's too late. You're going to be out of position. So when that setter or when that attacker opens his hand up, for example, to tip, you need to start moving into the into the correct position so that when he does tip or she does tip, you're already there. And you just got to pop the ball back up. And this is something that it takes time. And it's something coaches, you have to be aware of with your defense. Like watch your defense. Look and see as soon as the attacker change, like, shows that they're not going to swing they're going to tip they're going to roll which means they drop their shoulder is your defense moving and if they're not that's a problem because they have to move into position before contact and that way we can get a we can get a ball up and that's what happens they the attacker gets uncomfortable they start changing their shot because now they're afraid to make an error and again this is again club high school this is a general theme they're afraid to make an error and they start playing it safe and if you play it safe, that's an advantage for the other team because now they're going to say thank you for that safe ball and then they're going to execute and swing off ends. Because like I tell my guys, if you have a double block and you can't hit seam, you swing high off hands. You swing. Don't be afraid of the block. That's probably one of the biggest things for younger athletes is when they see a sealed block, they're afraid of it. And they don't want to attack. They don't want to hit. They want to avoid the block. And then they end up creating an error, hitting it out. As opposed to embracing the block and hitting it off those hands and that the other team chasing, or if they're in a jam situation, just hitting it off the hands at a 50 to 60% and getting it back on your side to play the ball. Right? They don't, they don't tend to play. They're not patient. The younger age group is not patient because they don't, all they see is, Oh my God, I, I got set. I need to do so. I need to score. They don't say, well, I can get this ball back and then score on the second opportunity. And when they start doing that and start understanding that the patience is an important part of offense, Oh, that's when you start getting really dangerous. And that's when the defense has a really tough time uh, being able to defend any of your shots because it's hard if you have a patient offense. Okay, so there you go. That's strategy number two. Strategy number three, we talked about playing the other team's weaknesses. So this is where you start asking really important questions. Do they have a C-ball? Do they have a pipe? Okay, don't say can they run a C-ball or can they run a pipe? Do they have one? And if they do, how good is it? Is it something you actually need to respect? Or is it something you can just play, let your backcourt take because it's their hard down balls or the actual attacks, you know? Out of the 50 or 75 points, how many is an actual seed ball or pipe? And if you find that it's not many, you don't need to respect it. You can leave it and, and prioritize the front court attackers because you still have, you have three blockers, they have two attackers. So let's, let's get the advantage back here. And then in terms of the front court, can they swing line? Do they have tendencies? How can we play those tendencies to our advantage? Okay. Strategy number four, middles swing five or, or sorry, middles when they're, when they're penetrating from area four and area three, they generally tend to swing five generally, not always generally. And when they're, when they're uh, penetrating out of position two, they generally swing one. This is a general rule. Do it unless you know that they have tendencies. We talked about this. Strategy number five, you could also have the libero take the setter alone, okay? Have the libero take the setter alone, two blockers in the middle, two blockers on the outside. That's what happens. 
You'll have you'll have the middle and left side blocking the middle, and you'd have middle and right side blocking the outside. So let the setter and the set and the libero will start on the attack line when that happens. And then the minute the setter gets released off the net, libero can transition to play defense, etc. Okay. And then a little tactical uh, technical thing here is drop your hands if you know the middle's not an option. Helps you move out to the pins a lot faster. Okay. A um, couple a couple other things I wanted to mention. Actually, I forgot to mention this earlier. If um, if you're on Instagram, okay, if you're on Instagram, and right now, many of you guys know I have um, I have DVA for coaches, uh, DVA is Digital Volleyball Academy. It's my signature mentorship program for volleyball coaches, and it's just for volleyball coaches. And by the way, in DVA, I have I have an entire live training on block defense. Uh, it's actually a really good training. Our coaches love it. So if you're interested in that training, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com and find more information there. And what I've decided to do is Instagram now has a subscriber option. So what I'm thinking of doing is for, you know, for all the, all the people that are not in DVA, because um, DVA is a mentorship program. It is like, it is designed for when coaches want to take their coaching to the next level and do it faster. I have, uh, I, uh, I got to change the name to, to university because it really is, it, it's, a, it's a university. Uh, we have a path that coaches go on where they get to each level and they get to stages and they get there faster, they learn the game better, and they become better coaches, and it's just, you know, I always say I'm teaching coaches how to create championship programs, but what I'm going to do on Instagram is I'm going to provide just like behind the scenes, so if you're a player and enthusiast coach, you're going to get to see like behind the scenes to what we do in our college gym, maybe I'll do some training on there, uh, I'll throw in some Q&A, um, and you get a chance to connect with me on Instagram, uh, but more intentional, so it's going to be a lot more behind the scenes and what I already do post. Like right now I'm just posting general help on Instagram. It's just, you know, ta like tips and tricks and things like that. But this will be more intentional. It'll be more like look and seeing what I'm doing in my practice today. Um, so if this is something you're interested in, uh, let me know, reach out to me on Instagram. Um, and I'm going to start, I'm going to start putting stuff on there. Uh, and that way uh, you guys can get access and see what we're doing. And so, you know what, uh, right now I think the price is $6.99. Um, cause I, I want to make it, it's, I want to make it super affordable because you're not getting like, you're not getting coaching calls with me. Like DVA members do. You're not getting that one-on-one -on -one support, but what you're going to get is you're going to get a ton of great ideas. Uh, and, and I, the way I like to look at it is, is seven bucks. If you got one or if you got a couple ideas a month, is that worth seven bucks? If you got a couple cool strategies, a couple cool ideas, you know, a couple insight, like insights, you know, even, even more than a couple, cause it's going to be like, who knows how much times I'll do it a month. Like, would that be worth seven bucks? Because some of these ideas can, you know, one idea can really transform your team. Who knows what that, what that could be? It could be a drill. It could be a, a, a tactical thing that I, even something I shared today. Uh, so we'll see if that's worth it for you. If it is, um, subscribe and I'm going to be, you know, experimenting with it and putting a lot of cool stuff on Instagram um, for my subscribers. Um, but I'll be playing around with that anyways. Okay, that's it for me. I'll see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look. Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.